This is the Pluck Chicken Podcast. Well, Pastor Bruss and I are in the studio this morning to bring you, well, yet another mixed bag of turd biscuits. I've got four different clips from four different pastors preaching four different sermons. Well, I've tried to isolate. You know, you take out all the stories and you take out all of the the rah-rah-rees about all the everybody online and you take out all the superfluous stuff and try to really get at the juxt of what they're trying to communicate to their people. And that's what I want us to, to analyze and get your uh, get your response from. Well, that'll be interesting. And it, I would be happy to know from you how much trimming you've got to do uh, in order to get to these. I mean, are you, are you talking about 20% left, uh, 10% left? Yeah, it might be somewhere in the neighborhood between 10 and 20%. Yeah, that's pretty good. So the rest of it's sort of a stand-up routine, totally. and this is, this is what goes for church. Yeah. A sermon. And people think this is legit. I mean, it's one thing for the pastor to be deceived like this, but the entire congregation is deceived as well. Because they think this is the preaching of God's Word, or some, or what, I... I guess, and yeah. I get, uh, what are they waiting on? Like the, the applause lines? I mean, a lot of the sermons we have heard in Toto, we hear these, the preacher working the people up and then there being an applause line. At times I've heard uh, the preacher even chastising the people for not clapping and being excited when they should be. Sounds like entertainment industry to me more well, than anything. Unfortunately, that is uh, the summation of what is today's American evangelicalism. Well, I'm looking forward to listening and critiquing. Well, a lot of it has to do, if I recall correctly, a lot of it has to do with the Holy Spirit. So we listen to this guy pray his prayer. He's the one who asked the Lord, if you'll recall, not to be boring and for the people not to be boring because, my goodness, that is just awful. This was his sermon, and I isolated just a portion of it for you. Ten. That's all the energy. Look what it says here in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. He's been doing all the work. We're his workmanship. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're seated in heavenly places, but we're destined to walk. We're seated and given all authority because we're his good workmanship, but he doesn't want to leave us seated just there. He wants us to walk out our Christianity. We're created for good works. He told the disciples, I want you to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and that's a lot of walking. He says, but before you go everywhere, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to sit and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're seated waiting. Holy Spirit comes upon them. They get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they go and walk it out. Peter stood up with the 11, said, this is the power. That, that's God's plan. Seated, stand, and walk. That's how God operates. He says, I want you to be seated in heavenly places, but I want you to stand in the authority that you have in Christ, and then I want you to walk it out in the good works for kingdom community. So we're just getting going here. What he's saying is going to obviously lead in what is coming up later. But what did you think about that? I mean, he's really boiled it down, hasn't he? To Well, to, he's, to, got, he's got a formula. Seated, standing, walking. SSW. We can call it the SSW formula. Maybe this is going to be the name of their church now. SSW. <laughs> sitting, standing, walking. Well, number one, how, how in the world does Peter standing up to address 
a congregation have anything to do with this, you know, sitting, standing, walking. He's reaching here, definitely reaching here. You know, the walking, though, in Ephesians 2.10 is, you know, it is there. The, the verb that uh, the Greek uses is, is peripateo. And you see this all over the place in the New Testament. Even Jesus peripateos. But what's fascinating about it is it, it really has to do with your conduct in life. It's not literally walking around. But does it also have something to do with vocation? It totally has to do with vocation. And see, this is where, as we will hear, there is such a... I, I don't even have a word, like cattywampus, which is my go-to. That, that doesn't even explain how messed up his understanding of vocation actually is. Yeah, and I think we've already heard it, haven't we? Uh, and I'm not sure if this is where he's going to go, but he's identified this walking with taking the gospel, you know, from Jerusalem to, to Samaria and into the world. That's not what the peripateo has to do with it all. You, as you mentioned, it's vocational. Are you saying that the chief end of man is not to share the gospel with everyone? It's to share the gospel with those in your vocation, is it not? I thought you were supposed to abandon your vocation because this is so mundane, and you were supposed to go out into the world, into your Judea and your Samaria, and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what they want, isn't it? That's that's the, the idea that they're trying to get across. And well, they want you to do it, but they want to make sure you send your check back to the home to church. Them. Yeah. To them, yeah. yeah. Now, the enemy loves to flip it. He wants you to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He wants you to stand in the pathway of the sinner. And then he wants to sit you down in the seat of the scornful so you are bitter and negative, never doing anything. God wants to start you in authority and end you up in works. But the enemy wants you to end you up in negativity and sit you down being bitter. So God wants to mobilize you. So what are the good works that he wants us to do? What are the good works? They're not the works of the flesh because he saved us from that. And they're not the works of the law, because no one's saved by the works of the law. I would love to know what good works are if they are not good works of the law. Well, he's going to tell you. I look forward to that. But if you're going to have a definition of what is good according to God, right, he's commanded good works here, uh, and it's going to depart from his law, then you're not talking about good works. As I said earlier, not only is there a confusion of vocation, but clearly there's a confusion of law and gospel. I mean, he just said that nobody is saved by the works of the law. Of course not. Of course not. But that doesn't mean that we eschew the works of the law. Right. right. I mean, the law is commands. And so the gospel is promises. And so you can't get salvation via command. You get salvation via believing the promise. However, now that one is saved, what are we supposed to do? The works of the law. And that law instructs us in the works that we're called to do, the good works that God called us to before the foundation of the world. Yeah, so he's got a really amorphous, you know, this is the problem with love, the concept of love. Um, he's going to, at least at this point in time, so far, um, it's this is a really amorphous kind of thing, good works. There's no definition to it. Just as people talk about loving, there's no definition to it. It's kind of a feeling in your heart, but God always defines it through his Ten Commandments. Which, I don't know, I just find that to be absolutely freeing. It's so clear 
And I don't have to rely upon intuition, interpretations of circumstances. I don't have to rely on dreams. I don't have to rely on goosebumps. And then be anxious whether you got it right. Uh, Right, or did enough. Ephesians 4 says that God gave gifts to the church, the the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor, the, the teacher, all those giftings for the training up of the saints, us, to do the what? Works of the ministry. So we're created for good works, the works of the ministry. In 1 Corinthians, he says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through the fire. So this is not a salvation thing. This is not like an in heaven or not in heaven thing. This is you're already there. This is for Christians. So he's pulling up some scripture passages, which is appreciable. That that way we can actually talk about something. This isn't just bluff utterances. And he's interpreting these. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 4 is an interesting one to start with because here uh, he actually, and NIV gets this wrong as well. Uh, NIV reads the passage as if the end goal of the ministry, so the prophets, the uh, apostles, the evangelists, the teachers and pastors of the church, as if the end goal of them is to equip the saints themselves to do the work of the ministry. Uh, That's a misreading of the Greek text. Uh, The Greek text has a series of things for which the office is given. Uh, And one of those that it's given for is the work of the ministry. In other words, the pastors and the evangelists and the teachers and the and the prophets and the apostles, they're the ones doing the work of the ministry. Well, what he's doing now is he is foisting the vocation of a specific calling within the body of Christ, specifically to pastors. He's saying that this belongs to everybody. Which would be one example of his skewed view of vocation. Yeah, vocation of a pastor, number one, and then vocation of the saints. So the saints obviously have some kind of analogous vocation to that of pastor, whereas the, the pastor's work is utterly unique in that he, he is God's mouthpiece amongst the people, and the people are the receivers of, of the goods of God. But then he goes over to the wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah. And this is a terrible interpretation, and as soon as I heard it, I thought that I needed to play it for you, because his interpretation of the wood, hay, and stubble, as he's already alluded to, and he certainly will be more detailed here in just a moment, the wood, hay, and stubble is anything that really is earthy, temporal, or even secular. It has nothing to do with teaching. In his telling of this. Right. His interpretation has nothing to do with, actually, this is what's ironic, with what he's teaching, because what he is teaching is wood, hay, and stubble. Correct, correct. But he's going to say that wood, hay, and stubble is anything that you don't do for God. Wow. And specifically in this kind of work of ministry sense that we hear in Ephesians 4. This is a pitting of one bad interpretation with the other, is it not? Exactly. So it's, it's, he's, he's entwined two bad interpretations 
to come up with a terrible thing to lay on top of Christians. Their vocation as Christians in regard to the ministry of the word is to receive. I mean, that is their job. It's a very easy job. You sit and listen. The pastors have the job of proclaiming. What he's going to do, it sounds to me, is flip-flop that. You know, our old Adam, it doesn't want to receive. No. And for the pastor, the old Adam doesn't want to proclaim. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so instead, yeah. No, you're exactly right. Because proclaiming, boy, in season and out of season, it's fine when it's in season. But that out of season proclaiming, boy. That's tougher. Ask John the Baptist about that. Right. <laughs> Right. You can see the demonic nature of this, right? The devil is this confuser. And and what he's doing yeah. through this is he's confusing vocation. And in the confusion of vocation, actually, I would say that this guy is laying an undue burden uh, on the backs of his people. He's not saying it's good enough to change a poopy diaper. Uh, he's saying if, you, if you're not, if, if you don't have the whatever, the wherewithal to get up on this stage and be doing what I'm doing, well, you're not really doing what the Lord wants you to do. And I hope that the uh, our listeners can pick up on the the weight that is going to be laid upon these people here in just a moment. I mean, it is a heavy, heavy burden. But see, I guess it's because of what? The lights and the smoke machine and the ambiance of the room and the um, the thespian nature of the quote-unquote preacher that somehow or another one doesn't think like this, that this is actually burdening my conscience. It's not liberating me. It's not pointing me to Christ Jesus. It's it's killing me, and but not really in a way that God intended. The reason is, though, you, you identified it just a minute ago, it's that this is a very appealing to the old Adam. And so the old Adam's listening to this going, rah, rah, you go, boy. I love what you said there just a, a moment ago. You know, our culture, and it's it seeped into the Christian ethos as well, but the culture says that Satan wants to come and possess and, you know, make us spit pea soup, <laughs> split pea soup from our mouth and climb walls and, you know, turn our head, you know, around us or something like this. No, 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 no. Deception. Confusing. That's all it takes. Jesus in John 8 talks about the, the devil. He, there he talks about him as an anthropoktonos, a, a manslayer. But the way he does it, uh, it just comes a little bit earlier. He is psystes. He's a liar. So the devil kills with words. With words, he undoes God's order. You know, I heard not too long ago, uh, I don't even know how, maybe it was issues, etc., or something like that. It was uh, a mighty fortress is our God when uh, Luther pinned the hymn and said, one little word will fail him. The word was, liar, you lie. And at least that's what they said mm. that it was. Mm. And this that's kind of what we're doing here, isn't it? Right. Yeah. We're, we're pointing out. The lies. Correct. Right. And so this isn't really anything about like denominational differences. This isn't we can uh, tie Lutheran ropes all around whatever you're saying. That's not it at all. 
What we're talking about is the plain meaning of Scripture. And he has, with two Scripture passages, warped the, the plain meaning of Scripture, turned it into a burden for his people. But wouldn't you say that just as one has developed a taste for this, that one can, over time, detest this taste? One hopes so. One hopes that one would rather uh, drink f from the clear sources than the, you know, the muddy stream down downstream. And you can tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. Like if, like if you're super thirsty and you see a muddy river, you're going to drink out of it uh, and think it's just great. Uh, but then somebody takes you 20 miles upstream and gets you to drink out of the spring. You're going to say, oh, why was I even drinking the mud? Hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of mud, here we go. All right. This is, for, this is what we face. If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to face God's judgment on what you did with the life he gave you. Like when I saved you, when I did all of that and I brought you into my, what did you do with the 24 hours a day? What did you do with seven days a week? What did you do with your Christian life that made any difference on the world around you? And then it says, let's test it by fire. And so fire goes on your life and reveals what you spent your life doing. So those things that you spent all your effort, all your time that were temporal become wood, hay, and straw. And in heaven, you have a pile of ash. All those things that you did that were eternal, you can take it with you, turn out to be gold, silver, and precious stones, and they become your reward, but it's tested by the fire of God. It's tested by the fire of God. And so what is the wood, hay, and straw? Your career, wood, hay, and straw. Your house, wood, hay, and straw. Your hobbies, wood, hay, and straw. Your, your car, wood, hay, and straw. Sport, wood, asset development, wood, nothing evil. I'm not saying don't have any of that. You need a house. You need a good car. I'm just saying if you've got a BMW or a beat-up VW, in eternity they have the exact same value, ash. And if you can afford one, ha knock yourself out, have whatever you want. There's no limit to what you can have in stuff in life. Just remember that that just stuff only exists in this life, and in heaven it turns to ash. It's only when we're doing kingdom works that we get rewarded in heaven with gold, silver, and precious stones. So whenever you give your time to the kingdom of God, gold, silver, and precious stones. Whenever you invest your finances in the kingdom of God, gold, silver, and precious stones. Whenever you're connected in church community, gold, silver, and precious stones. Whenever you serve on a team, volunteer, give your time, gold, silver, and precious stones. All the people serving in nursery today, gold, silver, and precious stones. All the people serving your children today, gold, silver, and precious stones. The person on the video camera making community for those online, gold, silver, and precious stones. The people in the sound booth, gold, silver, and precious stones. When you invest in the nations because of the cause, cause of Christ, gold, silver, and when you help the poor because of Jesus, gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the cool thing about God. The Bible says He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So if you just say yes to his grace, he rewards you with salvation. If you say yes to helping him build the kingdom, he rewards you in heaven. That's a win-win God. That's, that's awesome. So what did you think of that? That was some of the most awful stuff I think I have ever heard. And such a misunderstanding of, of the scriptures. 
But this guy is, he's a, he's a world traveler. He, he travels the world speaking the gospel. He's got it dead wrong. The, you know, uh, one of, we talked about this uh, in staff meeting the other day, right? Uh, David Scare's famous statement, get your good works out of the church and into the world. Basically, what this guy has said is that anything done in the church is valuable and anything done outside of the church is crap and it's going to get burned. Now, he's saying you can have some of that stuff, but just remember it's going to be garbage. Well, no, that's not why Paul is talking. Paul's not talking that way. He's not saying, you know what? You ought to have a little hay and stubble mixed in with your gold and silver. That's not his point at all. So, number one, he's making a terrible misinterpretation of what Paul's saying on top of another misinterpretation of what Paul's saying. But you've talked about this so often, and you're hearing it so clearly here. The mundane is bad, and the spiritual is good. I mean, this is like kind of basic Manichaeism, isn't it? The material principle of the world is this wicked principle, the God of the Old Testament who is nasty and mean. And then we come to the New Testament and Jesus and everything spiritual and light and, and wonderful. And this is just total garbage. <laughs> I, love the, I love the lackluster applause. Did you notice that yeah. at the end? I mean, people were supposed to be jumping up and down. I do want to believe, I don't know it to be true, but I want to believe that the people were actually thinking, oh, my goodness, he's just described my entire life as being wood, hay, and stubble, that which is going to be burned. And so, you know, at the applause line, it's kind of, uh, okay, am I the only one clapping here? (laughs) Come on, everybody. Hey, I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Yeah. So this is just a terrible burden uh, to lay on the people because basically what it's saying the more of your waking hours you spend not inside this church building doing some crap, kingdom work, kingdom work, you're actually just putting hay stubble uh, onto the foundation. That's going to be burned and nothing but ash will be left. Right. So let's just talk about what the scriptures command in regard to the good works of a Christian. Please, okay? please. So uh, G- from the mouth of Jesus himself, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. All right, so paying my taxes. He would, this is not for the church. This is for Caesar, but I'm still going to pay my taxes, and the Lord still regards it as a good work. Uh, We are told to obey the authorities because they're given to us by God. So my obeying of the speed limit and, and, uh, uh, you know, whatever else, going to vote and so on and so forth, all of these are good works defined by God as good works. This business about the nursery Give me a break. The same mom who is doing this at home is building stubble and straw. But if she comes to church and does it, this is gold, silver, and precious stones? Really? I mean, this is horrible. It is horrible. And again, going back to what Paul was actually saying in this wood, hay, and stubble, because believe me, I mean, I've heard this of of that which you've built your life upon as being wood, hay, and stubble. And the interpretation is totally wrong. It has nothing to do with the, uh, what, the accoutrements or uh, the achievements or even the, 
you know, the aspirations of, of somebody's life. Right. It has to do with the teaching of God's word. And so what the prophets and Jesus and the apostles have given us is no doubt gold, silver, and precious stones. Right. And then we come along and then we build on this foundation. And if this, what we're hearing is what we build on, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm reminded of uh, the big bad wolf and the three little pigs, right? We'll yeah. blow your house down. Yeah. yeah. This doesn't accord, what you're saying is that, that this doesn't agree with the teaching of the apostles and the prophets in any way whatsoever. At the very end of Ephesians, uh, a, a book that he's already referenced, uh, Paul actually does talk about good works uh, in chapters 5 and 6, and he's very clear about this, right? He says, uh, be imitators of God as his own dear children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And then he goes on to say what that looks like. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. <laughs> obey your parents. Parents, don't be harsh to your children. That's in Peter. And then, and then you have... Direct, masters. Yeah, masters and slaves, right? All of these things are great good works in the kingdom of God. Again, I, I, want, I, I wonder if, if all of this doesn't go back to something that we have observed many, many times, that this God that the evangelicals have constructed is, is a, a God who, who, who refuses to get his fingernails dirty. Um, the God of Scripture gets his fingernails dirty by accomplishing his will on earth through means through human means. Babies don't raise themselves. Moms and dads do, right? Right. I mean, this is why Luther said God gave a, a woman breasts right, to nurse the child. Right. That's the point. And without it, it would be an impossibility. And the mother is, is in fact, obligated to do that for the, for the child that she gives birth to. And this is a good work. But it's so mundane. Well, I... I know I'm telling you this, and I know you can cognitively understand it, but I just don't think you grasp the magnitude of how many people actually believe God's will and God-pleasing work is found in something that they do outside of what is revealed in the Scriptures. What you're saying, I, I, I want to repeat back to you what I think I, I hear you saying. Uh, God has told us, we're saying that God has told us clearly what he expects of us, so that the mechanic who fixes my car uh, and is a Christian is doing a great good work. And, if he's and, not ripping people off, and if he's not stealing from the company, and if he's not lying about the work that he he's done... Yes, of course. Because he's providing a service for his neighbor, right? He's he's uh, taking care of his neighbor's possession, and he's earning money for his to support his family. Blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. What you're saying is that there are scads and scads of people out there who don't regard that as a good work, and instead regard only that which they do what for the Lord. Uh, as a good work. Everything yeah. else is nothing. Yeah. It mm -hmm. is the secular that is the wood, hay, and the stubble. 
and it is the sacred that is the gold and the silver and the precious stones. I'm telling you, Pastor Bruss, it, it's like people are in thinking jail, and they are completely fine with that. Again, there's was, no freedom in that. No, there's there's absolutely no freedom in that. And um, you know, if that's what you've heard all your life, it would be it. it I'm sure it's it, it's like being in Plato's cave, right? Exactly. Uh, until somebody shows you that all you're looking at is shadows instead Shadow of puppets. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of uh, real things, uh, you, you're going to have a misapprehension of what's uh, what's going on. But what a burden! Uh, I, I do think a conscience burden. So, so he's just proclaimed this, right? You've got families out there with four or five kids, and mom and dad got to be thinking, what? Another three hours at church? I mean, I, I can't even get the wash done now as it is. I can't get the food on the table as it is. I barely get home, and I'm crabby, and now I got to pack up and run off to church again. I mean, that is that is really unfortunate. Instead of... Instead of grasping the very vocation that the Lord has plopped you into as a gift to you. Recount the story that we read in the Fire and the Staff about the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the woman who... Uh, the cookie uh, sales? The cookie... No, 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 no. no. The lady who um, couldn't come to the, uh, the meeting for evangelism. Right. So there was the, the lady, I don't know what her name was. Um, and this is the book called The Fire and the Staff. It's by Clement... Preuss, P-R-E-U-S, and you can get it at Concordia Publishing House or probably at Amazon, Fire in the Staff. A fantastic book. In fact, I think most people should read it. So a lady in Clement's congregation, he was a pastor, busy mom, had uh, lots of kids, and oh, a husband, I think, that maybe was an unbeliever. Uh, she got elected to the Board of Evangelism or something like this, and things got... Uh, more and more crazy at her house. She uh, would show up late. She was right. harried. She was, you know, just frazzled. And so finally, with guilt, she asked to be excused from by the pastor and, and was very felt very guilty about it. And his response was, what's there to be guilty about? And she, she responded by saying, well, I'm not really doing the work of God if I'm not doing the work of evangelism. And his point was, well, actually taking care of your family is a very good thing, and you can do your evangelism right there in your own family, teaching the faith to your children. Yeah, take the hour that you would normally spend up here and designate it at home for a time where you relate uh, Bible stories to your children. And that's going to be even more effective than serving on this board. I'm telling you, man, to the evangelical ear, they hear that and they think, what kind of pastor is that? It's the kind of pastor who's not trying to, for really selfish reasons, wring every last minute and dime out of out of his parishioners, and freeing them, frankly, to be the lights that are not kept under the bushel and the salt that is the salt of the earth in their daily vocation. How do we get saved? Because Jesus died on the cross. How do we get a Jesus? Because he had parents who looked after him when he was little and raised him up to be a young man. They protected him and fed him and worked hard to keep him alive. So there were works to get us to Jesus. Jesus went to a cross. How do we know? Because we read it in the Bible. Well, how do we get a Bible? Somebody did the works of writing it down and protecting it. 
did they write it in English? No, they wrote it in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. So somebody had to translate those languages from fragments of papyri to give us a Bible. They spent thousands of hours studying, learning to make sure that you and I get an accurate representation of what was said in the Scripture. So the, so the Bible didn't arrive to us for free. But I'm not sure about you, but I, I didn't stay in a hotel, roll over in the morning, open a drawer, and open a Gideon's and get saved. I'm, I'm a Christian today because my mom prayed me into the kingdom of God. She was relentless in her invitations, even when I was saying no. And then I'm here because a youth pastor went out of his way to drive me to church when I didn't want to go to church. But he picked me up every week for five weeks, drove half an hour out of his way, drove me to church half an hour. Every, every week he would do that to get me to church. When I went to church, I sat on a seat I didn't pay for in a building I had no investment in, heard a preacher preach with a microphone I didn't pay for, a sound system that was led by somebody else, a preacher that prepared a message. There are a whole heap of works that went into my salvation. They just weren't my works. So I would say to you, everyone in this room today, if you're saved, you are saved by works. They're just not your works. The works that led to you being able to receive salvation by grace. We get salvation by grace, but we receive it on a platform that somebody else built through their works to give us that salvation opportunity. They get rewarded for what they did, and we get rewarded with salvation. Now you get saved. God says, what are you going to do? How are you going to serve to help somebody else get saved? What are you going to do? How are you going to invest your time to help other people at your workplace? In your, who are you going to bring to church? Who are you going to invite? Where, where are you going to serve? What ministry can you get involved in? Can you get involved in the worship team? Can you get involved in the tech team? Can you get involved on the team greeting people at all? Can you go out there and stand out on, on the road and stop people getting run over so they can, so they can get to church? And hear the message. How can you get involved to provide a platform for other people to get saved? We're all saved by works. They're just not our works. Let's pray. Well, he's right in this regard that the church's job is to proclaim the gospel. That's why God instituted the church. And this is done under law. That's exactly right as well. We have Christ's command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's absolutely, you know, nothing wrong with saying that. And there's, there's actually absolutely nothing wrong with telling Christians that they have works to do and that part of their work to do is to speak the gospel uh, in their own daily vocation. So he's, he's hit it on the head here. But the problem is... Uh, Go back all the way to, you know, the wood-hay-stubble business. He's saying that any other thing that they do is crap. It's going to get burned. The raising of their children, the, the being a good employee, good boss, good citizen, all that sort of stuff is just nothing at all. That's not how God views it. It's interesting to me, and this, this doesn't happen universally, but a lot of times you will have a, a preacher invite a guest preacher to come in when there's a, a need to whip up the peeps to, to get involved in different areas of the church, or you need money. So you don't want the, the head pastor to take all the uh, heat. You just bring in some guy to say what maybe you don't want to say, and uh, or maybe he just says it a little bit differently or what have you, and you pay him an honorarium, and then off he goes. 
And that's what you think is going on here? Is that, is that, I don't know. I just wonder, uh, you know, I wonder when this pastor was invited to come. And I'm sure the pastor oh, uh, says, what do what you want me to talk about? And he says, well, you know, we really could, uh, we really could uh, use some, some more people involved because our church is growing and we have more and more needs. And he's like, well, I got, I got, <laughs> I got a bullet that'll uh, fit in that gun. Yeah, this is, he's laying it on thick. And, and if I were the, uh, I, I can totally understand why the senior pastor or whoever wouldn't want to be doing it because it's bad theology. Well, unfortunately, the the preacher, if we get to it, uh, he's got bad theology too. Well, good. I'd love to hear that. So, uh, you know, birds of a feather. But before we get to him, I've got another preacher I want you to listen to. And uh, he's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. So today we're uh, in a new series. We're beginning brand new today. Uh, you can see on the screen, Born to Rule. Uh, it's about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit rules in our life and rules through us. And I just, I'm really excited about this. I, I've, I've used this word a couple times and it may be like, I don't know if it's like this ginormous, but I'm believing it's going to be an epic series. So I don't know, just epic. So like, I don't know. So that's how I'm viewing it. You can join me if you want, but it's going to be amazing because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Probably one of my favorite topics to talk about is the Holy Spirit because of the impact of my revelation of who He is in my life and how I feel Him in my life and how I just am led by the Spirit. And so I just love to talk about it. So this is a series for me. It's epic for me. So welcome to church. Hope you like it. But um, Born to Rule, we want to see how the Holy Spirit rules in our life and rules through us. And so I'm really glad you're here. I want to just open with prayer if I can. Um, and I would like you to do me a favor um, and just, if you would, just place your hand kind of on your chest here just to represent that the Holy Spirit is going to stir inside of you for the next four weeks. Uh, that over the next four weeks as we talk about the Holy Spirit, He's going to move and, and you're going to experience Him in a brand new way. So Father, just in a, a way of just saying, Lord, inside of us, your Spirit is there. Lord, I pray that as we go through this series that we would get a fresh revelation of who you are inside of us. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't um, be afraid to, to hear what you have to say, that we wouldn't put up walls and all those things, God, but we would just be open to hear. Lord, I pray that this series would be epic because the Holy Spirit is epic when we get a fresh view of him. Uh, so Lord, just use this season, use this time, move in our lives. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen with me. Amen, amen. Well, after hearing that intro and, uh, and the prayer, I mean, are you a little bothered, Pastor Bruss, that I've actually edited some of this sermon down a little bit? I mean, because it's sounding pretty epic. It's sounding pretty epic. Oh, I see what you're saying. Am, am I going to be disappointed in what we're going to miss out on? Right. I I suppose I will. I'd love to see how he's going to, you know, what stories he's going to tell. But what a fresh revelation. Um, well, his revelation. Well, it's, well, he's got, yeah, he wants everybody else to have a fresh revelation. And not new, to put up any walls on this, right. to really just embrace all this false teaching that he's going to be disseminating. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as soon as, as soon as somebody talks about the Holy Spirit as a feeling, uh, I get very suspicious. Now, why is that? 
I get suspicious about the feelings side of things. Uh, it, it doesn't really map over what the scriptures teach us about the work of the Spirit at all. Uh, the work of the Spirit uh, in John, for example, is to, to give the Son, to bear witness to the Son. So then you got sort of the tip of the iceberg. How does the Spirit bear witness to the Son? Well, he uses the things that the Son and the Father and the Spirit have established as the ways in which the Son is given to us and everything the Son has done, namely his word, uh, his baptism, and his uh, sacrament of the altar, the word of absolution. Look at John 20. There, on the evening of the resurrection, Jesus comes among the twelve, and he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the next word out of his mouth is, whosoever sins you forgive, they have been forgiven them, and whosoever sins you retain, they have been retained. Now, if there's a feeling of relief, a clean conscience that comes from that, that is the work of the Holy Spirit for sure. But the Holy Spirit ties himself specifically to objective, tangible institutes, sacraments, things of God, and works through them to bring people to faith in Jesus. And so as soon as we start talking about feelings, we are not talking about the Holy Spirit's work. Well, okay. I, I think this pastor uh, here that we're listening to would beg to differ. I'm sure he would. He's probably an optimistic kind of guy uh, who's on a, um, he's sort of manic all the time and he confuses his optimism with the spirit. So is this someone who is putting their trust in something other than what they hear? Totally. Well, let's let him spin this out a little bit. Hey, I'm going to take us to the book of Acts chapter uh, 1, uh, looking at the first nine verses to begin with. And just to give you a little what's going on, uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So he wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And so he ties these two books together in his first three verses. And so he wrote about the, the ministry of Jesus in the book of Luke, and then in the book of Acts, he writes about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so he ties them together in these first three verses. And so let me begin here. It says, in my former book, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, I, I really don't know who he is. I did a little research, couldn't find anything out about him other than the fact his name means friend of God. And so I was like, hey, cool name. But friend of God, and he wrote this book kind of to him that got published on a broad spectrum. Obviously, we're reading it now. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now remember, he had chosen 12 apostles. At this point, one of them, Judas, had already betrayed him and he wasn't with them. And so the 11 apostles were here. Verse 3 says, after his suffering, so this is after Jesus had gone to the cross, died for mankind's sin, then he was resurrected back to life and it says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, these apostles and many others. And what happened? He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And so he had to prove to these apostles that he came back to life. And so he spent time with them. It says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The 40 days is, is kind of important in the fact that um, this was 40 days after Passover when Jesus had had suffered and died. So 40 days 
prior was Passover, his death. Now we're 40 days. And in 10 days from then is um, when Jesus uh, sent the Holy Spirit to come on them at what is called Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Penta means 50. And so we're in this 10-day period when Jesus was, was with them right at the end and he then ascended to heaven 10 days that are supposed to wait until the day of Pentecost. And so that's why it tells us 40 days are there. So after he was raised, he appeared to them for 40 days. Verse 4 says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so today we're taking that thought, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, knowing that God wants us all to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus gave them instructions though during this period of time, and he said that, that, that he is going to go to the Father and he will send them the promise of the Holy Spirit. But he said to them, I need you to wait right here. I need you to not do anything important. I don't want you to start your ministry until you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to, to, to do anything in your own strength, in your own power, in your own methods. I, Jesus like, just please just stay right here, park here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then out of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do the things God is calling you to do. And so he's saying, stay. Everybody say, wait. wait. He wanted them to wait. So Jesus instructed them this. And so the disciples were gathered around him, it says in verse 6, and, and they started having questions for him about the Holy Spirit. Good questions. And any of us would have questions. Today I'm going to go through a couple questions about the Holy Spirit. You know, I was grateful that this guy read so much of the text. But, uh, man, as we will see, his interpretation, a couple things stood out to me. One of them was that the apostles have questions about the Holy Spirit, and now, really, for the bulk of the sermon, it's going to be questions that he thinks they may have had about the Holy Spirit. Even though the text actually gives us the question. Yeah, he will. And he. Uh, I think the first question is, is it now? That you will reestablish the kingdom of Israel. Sure. Yeah. And he's going to, you know, he's going to talk about that one. Uh, but he believes that there's more questions. Wow. That that yeah. the uh, that the apostles ask about the Holy Spirit, and so he's going to enlighten us. I mean, listen, he's already enlightened us a little bit with what Jesus said to the apostles. Not just wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, but but stay. Don't do anything in your own human methods. I mean, he's he's given us a a lot more detail that that actually the biblical writer didn't even give us. Right. Right. And as you pointed out, this baptism in the Spirit, we're going to find out, is going to be something different from what you and I think the baptism in the Spirit is. Absolutely. what the Scriptures teach the baptism Absolutely. In the yeah. And this really is the, uh, the twisting uh, that, that is taking place in this sermon. He says in, um, you know, in verse 7 there, nobody knows the times, the dates. Verse 8, he says, but. And he's shifting their mindset. He's shifting them from end times to today. And he says, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so just connect these two concepts, power and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when he comes on you, he brings his power to live, power to overcome, power to do the ministry. It's the power, it's the anointing of God that comes into your life for all that he's called you to. And so he says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And then he lists four areas, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he's teaching them at this moment that by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you will carry the gospel starting in Jerusalem and moving to Judea, which is like a county. Samaria is like the next county over, and then to the ends of the earth. And so we made our series graphic kind of represent uh, Acts 1-8 uh, here. And so you can see the series graphic. And so we've got the circles, and, and so the Holy Spirit represented by the dove, and that the Holy Spirit wants to rule in your life, and as he does, he'll rule through your life, and we'll take the message all the way from Wilmington to Providence to the next circle and to, to the country and then to the ends of the world. That's what we're called to do. Amen? And so I like the graphic. It's awesome. So... You ought to put it on your social media and post it for people to come to church next week and he'll hear it, pre preach. It'll be great. That's what you should do with that. All right, so now, spreading the gospel. He tells them to wait. And then in verse 9, after this, it says, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so at this point, Jesus had ascended into heaven and they're in this waiting period. They're supposed to wait. They're not supposed to do anything important they're not supposed to make any big decisions. They're supposed to just wait for the Holy Spirit to come before they go out of the upper room and begin the ministry. But instead, a few verses later, we find the disciples decided to do something else. And so what did they decide to do? Well, they decided to make a ginormous decision and pick a new apostle. And they're like, hey, there's 11 of us. One of them's gone. Uh, we're the gang of 12. Let's go ahead and pick somebody um, and just jump into this. I don't know, I'm just thinking that that's a pretty significant decision that Jesus said to wait on. You need the decision helper of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Um, but they didn't. They're like, hey, let's just jump into this thing. Let's go for it. And so what they did is it says in verse 21, it says, therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a, a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which, uh, which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belonged. So they rolled the dice. They cast lots. They're like, hey, we don't know what God wants us to do. Holy Spirit isn't here. <laughs> Who's it going to be? <laughs> That's what casting lots was. They're like, hey, if it rolls between one and six, it's going to be Matthias. If it's between seven and 12, it's going to be the other guy. And so they rolled the dice. And I was just thinking when I read that, that Jesus said, don't make any decisions. Don't rely on your own methods. Don't, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And when I was reading that, I was thinking, well, whatever happened to Matthias? You know, they, they picked him by rolling the dice, whatever. Well, there's no information about this man ever again in Scripture. 
It's like he didn't exist after that time. That doesn't mean he's a bad guy. He may have gone off and done something amazing, but he didn't write scripture. There was nothing about him from that point on. And I'm just started thinking just maybe, maybe if they had not jumped ahead and rolled the dice, maybe God might have had someone else for them. Maybe there was someone else that God was developing to come along behind that they could have selected to be one of the apostles. Maybe one that would go ahead and write half of the New Testament. Maybe one that would come along, his name was Saul, has a conversion on, on, on a road where he sees Jesus and he becomes Paul and becomes the most influential apostle of all. Maybe if they had waited instead of rolling dice, they would have picked somebody else. Maybe in your life, you've relied on your own methods and your own ways and your own history to go, well, I've always done it this way. Maybe if you rely on the Holy Spirit, he would speak to you about your businesses and your marriages and everything else going in your life. I think we all need to not roll the dice until we've heard from the Holy Spirit in our life. Amen. Amen. So, have you ever in your life heard about those disobedient apostles who just maybe, there's a lot of maybes in that. Tons of maybes. Just maybe went ahead of the Holy Spirit and rolled the dice on Matthias of all people. Well, he got to this conclusion only by putting words in the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus said, uh, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes. Okay. Well then, and think about the manipulation going on. He has you recite this word. Wait. Wait, right. So now it's kind of all in everybody's head that they're supposed to wait. And the irony of all of this is that the Holy Spirit was directing the entire thing. Because St. Peter cites from the very scriptures themselves about the death and empty place of Judas and how another must take his place. So the Holy Spirit has totally informed them of, of what they ought to do. And you're saying that because the word of God is the inspired, breathed out word, they were listening, as it were, to the revealed scriptures when they took up this task of filling Judas's spot. Absolutely. That's absolutely what they were doing. But they didn't put their hands on their hearts. No, they and didn't. They didn't have to feel it, right? So There wasn't a fresh revelation that they needed? No, this was a very ancient revelation, in fact. These go back to the Psalms and... Uh, this is, um, boy, this is really, really troubling. And uh, notice he skipped over that chunk. So it, it was just like, oh, they decided one day to, you know, get a get a 12th guy and roll the dice. Uh, he skipped over the entire passage where Peter cites the scriptures as the authoritative spirit spoken word of God directing them to do what they're doing. Well, what I cut out was this long story about him rolling the dice on a cruise ship that had a, a casino in it. And so that that was the setup, the rolling of the dice, where he lost 20 bucks and some guy who bet on what he was going to roll uh, bet a lot more than that. We had this 10-minute story, and so that really now drives the text because you can't have the reading of what Peter read you can't have the reading uh, of all the scripture when you got to make room for 
the story. And the story actually doesn't even map over the reality of the casting. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure that there is casting of lots here. What, what they receive, it says that, that they gave out clerus, okay? And clerus can either be lots or they can be voting sticks. And these voting sticks, uh, the way that they were handled in the ancient world is they could either be broken and handed in portionately or whole. If you got back whole sticks and said, okay, Matthias is the guy who's going to get the whole sticks, we'll count up his, and if you hand in broken sticks, those are going to be for uh, the other fella. And, um, you know, so the, it, this was actually when the lot falls to Matthias, it's actually that the gathered Christians have voted. Voted, exactly. Why? Because the Lord uses immediate means to do the work of the church. And not to push on this too much, I mean, this fellow's already pushed way farther than we want to push, but did you hear what he said about how Matthias, who's chosen, he never goes off to do anything great, and so maybe, just maybe, this was not God's pick. Right. Have you ever read the epistles of Thomas? In the New Testament? Not in the New Testament. No, no. And so Thomas, he was a chosen apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have anything written in the New Testament. This is malarkey. And But I think your point is well taken, that what he's arguing is, wait for the Spirit. The Spirit's going to propel you on to bigger and better stuff. Again, this disdain for the little work through which God accomplishes his goals. And you know, what I, I love, again, I'm pushing on the text here, but the guy who wasn't quote-unquote chosen to fill Judas's spot, did he stop being a disciple? He kept doing his vocation. He kept loving the Lord. He, he kept doing everything he was doing before because this was a guy, I mean, you only had two guys that really fit the bill. Right. They had to be eyewitnesses from this point to this point. The baptism of John, i.e. baptizing Jesus. To Jesus' resurrection. To Jesus' uh, resurrection, resurrection and, and ascension. ascension. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. You only and, had two guys. Right. And that is actually predicated upon Christ's own command to them that they are to be witnesses of his resurrection. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. I, this is this is malarkey. Uh, but it's really not about explaining the text. It's trying to win people over to the fact that they need to put their hand on their heart and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants them to do. You see that? Because he made this switch from yeah. the apostles doing something without the Holy Spirit. According to him. According to him. And how we, we are... We're guilty of the same thing. Exactly. These disciples were asking all these questions, as I mentioned a few minutes ago to Jesus. And, and so I want to answer some of the questions that maybe I think they may have asked Jesus. And so the first question I think they may have asked Jesus is, who is the Holy Spirit? This sermon ought to be called Maybe. It should be. And can you imagine 11 guys having heard the discourses uh, on Maundy Thursday evening from Jesus Having been there when he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. And whosoever sins you bind, they have been bound. Who have read 
Psalm 51, right? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Who have read Genesis chapter 1, where the, the Ruach Yahweh is there hovering over the surface of the waters. They don't know what the spirit is. They don't know Elijah and Elisha. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> That's right. Maybe. Well, I skipped his answer because his answer is so ridiculous. And actually, what I want us to focus on is more of this, how the Holy Spirit works in said individual. I'm looking forward to that. Well, maybe you're not. I think I was saying that with a wink. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. So that's how he wants to work in our life from the inside out. That's why when we started the the sermon, I said, put your hand on your chest because that's where the Holy Spirit is. Uh, Inside of us, kind of representative Maybe one of the things you might want to do is when you feel something, you know, sparking in your life, you might want to say, uh, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just as a principle, maybe until you learn to follow him, you know, a little quicker, you might just stop and go, what are you saying, Holy Spirit? You know, like, speak to me. Are you directing me this way? And let the Holy Spirit lead your life. Amen? That's happened to me before, Pastor Kearns. You got a spark? Well, no, I felt a burbling in my gut, and I asked the Holy Spirit what I should do, and he said, get to the bathroom. Really? (laughs) Just in time, huh? I think he's been listening to uh, Randy Hand. Do you remember how Randy Hand put his hand up? He didn't, they didn't know where to go to eat. And so he had to put his hand up and tell the guy to shut up for a second while he asked the Holy Spirit where to go eat. And, and the Lord directed him to a certain restaurant that the Yahoo sitting, that he was sitting with got to, got to do some ministry. This is so mystical. So, so contrary to the scriptures, we, we just don't read about any of this kind of spirit directionality in the, in the scriptures. But you talk about the deception of the evil one for crying out yeah. loud. Mm-hmm. We're taking God's word and we are, see, they're never going to, you know, they're going to say just like Joel Osteen does, you know, here's my Bible, I believe it, right? But then we're going to take it and we're going to set it aside and we are going to wait for these impressions and these feelings and these emotions. And call them God's word to us. And if I'm not mistaken, what commandment is this breaking? Second. The misusing of God's name. Yes, yes. By imputing to God things he purportedly said but did not say. So when people say the Lord laid this on my heart, and there's no chapter and verse. Right. But we can actually point to chapter and verse for what the Lord laid on the apostles' heart to select a replacement for Judas. Well, maybe, though, that was wrong, according to him. Actually, to put it that closely together, to juxtapose these two things so closely, really clearly shows you how faulty, uh, how theologically faulty this is and how disastrous it is. Right. And so this is why I wish more men, honestly, would lean over to their wife while they're sitting listening to this saying, maybe we shouldn't have come here this morning because this is arsenic in the pudding. But they're not getting it, are they? No, no. They're, They're sucking it up like a child at his birthday party. Yep. So the last question I think they might ask is, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And so baptism means to be fully immersed. That's what the word baptism means, fully immersed. Uh, So baptism of the Holy Spirit means to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. 
So it's really that simple. It's just being fully immersed, fully engaged, fully led by the Holy Spirit in our life. Dynamic equivalency. Yeah. That is. That's like when you throw every definition, possible definition, into a word that, that you can, right? But it isn't even a definition, right? So fully immersed doesn't mean being fully led. And I mean, it has nothing if, to do with baptism. Right. I mean, what... This? Uh, if baptism just means to wash... Right. Why right. can't it just stay as being washed? Why do we have to throw all these other phrases into the mix? Well, because we've seen what he's done. You throw things into the bag, and everybody says, oh, yeah, that must be what it means. Then you pick the thing out that you've thrown into the bag that you really want to talk about. Which has nothing to do with the actual meaning. Exactly. Then you move on with that, come to your next stopping point, get a concept, fill the bag up, pick out another turd biscuit, the very one that you want, and then move on with that thought that really isn't inside of the concept at all. It's only there because you threw it in. This is just terrible logic. I mean, just a logician, just on a language level. This makes no sense. It's like saying, it's like saying, you know, like apples are cows. That's what it's like saying. Sure. But again, the ear is tuned to hear that and think, yeah, of course apples are cows. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> is that not demonic? I mean, does this not just destroy the perspicuity of Scripture? It's, it's external clarity. And once you destroy its external clarity, you destroy its inner clarity. Well, and then on top of that, the, the, the devil comes as an angel of what? Darkness? No, of light. Of light. Yes. Uh, I like that Jesus, the way he said it when he was talking to his disciples, he said that John baptizes with water, and then in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus compared spirit baptism to water baptism. And I like that Jesus just kind of connected those two thoughts together because we can learn a little bit from the water baptism, which is probably a little more recognized, uh, what it is, what it means, and kind of tie some of that to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so if you understand that water baptism is a public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ, it's where we, you know, and I like we did water baptisms at the beach recently, and the way we do it, we believe that baptism means to be immersed and so we take someone and we fully immerse them underwater to represent baptism, immersed. Now, underwater represents the death of Christ. As they're coming out, it represents the resurrection of Christ. And so what it is saying when someone is baptized, they're saying, hey, everybody, you need to know I'm fully immersed into the life of Jesus Christ. That's my life. That's who I identify. I want everybody to know it. That's what water baptism is all about, immersed, being fully immersed. He compares that then to baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, simple enough, means there's a moment where we say, I identify to the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm fully immersed in my life in Him. I'm submitting to His ways, and I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so it's just that moment where we recognize Him in our life and say, yes, I want to be baptized. I want to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. I want Him to lead my life. It's kind of that simple, to be honest with you. Um, I think sometimes in our circles of churches, we've put up walls about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because sometimes people have made it weird, and the Holy Spirit's not weird. 
I love that Jesus, he didn't even explain it in depth. He's like somewhat understood. He's like, everybody understands about water baptism. Uh, you need to be filled in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he just went on with it. Kind of like, it's not weird. We're the ones that make it weird. It's not weird. He just wants us to accept, fully embrace, and immerse ourselves in the Holy Spirit and have a moment where we say, yes, Lord, I want that in my life. I want that in my life. I want the Holy Spirit leading my life. I, I want to, when I'm preaching up here, I want his anointing. I want his power at work in me to help my words not be my words, but to be God's words into your life. But you need that in your business. You need that in your marriage. Uh, you need that for ministry. And, and that's why I believe he told them to wait until the Holy Spirit came. They went ahead and rolled the dice. And I want to say to you, don't roll the dice with your life. Amen. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so at this moment, I just want to pray for you. And if you're here today and you just want to say, well, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, then I'm just going to pray you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so if you just bow your heads with me. Wow, what do you think about that? Well, I really want to hear what you have to say about it because I've, I've listened to it several times. But my first thought about it was it reminded me, not that I am on par with Luther or any of the Reformers, but, you know, clearly in Luther's day, there were abuses in the Roman Catholic Church. There was the salvation by works. There was purgatory invented out of thin air. There was the sale of indulgences. There was papal authority over biblical authority. There was always more to do in Luther's day, and you never really knew if you did enough. There was no certainty, certainly no assurance. I caught a little bit of that listening to this, thinking, man, you, you've already got me baptized. Now I've, I've got to do something else to, to really now identify with Jesus. Now I've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's just one more thing. And you can't run your business with it without it. You can't have a marriage without it. You can't have friends without it. You can't have a hobby, whatever. I mean, he just can't make this, any decision. Litany of things. Look, the scriptures are talking about baptism in the in the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that in in Acts chapter one. But you've he, already he's said never he's never defined. Well, he has defined it. It's just being dipped in the Holy Spirit and being led by him. Whatever that means. Right, exactly. But you've already said that God uses means. Right. So how? what means actually is he using, especially if the scriptures already tell us there's only one baptism? There's not two baptisms. There's not a water baptism and then a spirit baptism. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Right. So what is this baptism that he's that Jesus is talking about here in Acts 1:5? This is the big question. It's the initiation, it's the the institution of the office of the holy ministry. Inauguration maybe? The inauguration of the office of the holy ministry. And um so you know, we have gifts that were given to Timothy, for example, we we read about uh, do not ignore uh, the charismata that you receive from the laying on of hands, the pres presbytery, and so on. The, the Spirit, actual, who is 
how do I want to say it, who is actualized here, the spirit who is poured out here uh, on Pentecost, which is where this is trending toward, is the spirit that animates the work of the office of the holy ministry. And he's doing nothing different from what he's done with all the other stuff Jesus has instituted, right? His word, right? Whoever hears you hears me. It's giving people Jesus. Uh, His baptism, you are buried, therefore, with Christ through baptism into death in order that uh, just as Christ was raised again uh, by the glory of the Father, you you too might walk in newness of life. So what's the Spirit doing there? Well, he's he's giving us Christ. Um, He's at work in the sacrament of the altar because there the Word is connected with these means. And what's he there for? To forgive sins. So he's taking a very special circumstance, a one-day event, that occurred on Pentecost, by which the Lord gave in a marvelous way the power of the Spirit to his office of the ministry. And he's saying this has to land on every other Christian and that Christians can't live a godly life without it because, based upon his false logic, the apostles screwed up royally in naming Matthias and making a decision prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, that just fits with the whole narrative that the apostles, even after becoming apostles, who were just Jesus' disciples, were all nincompoops and morons and just complete idiots. I mean, we love to say how stupid they are and how they never got it, but boy, do, do we get it. Right. Right. And so here, even after the death and the resurrection, and even Jesus, we know he opened up the scriptures and he showed them all things. Right. right. Exactly. They still are just a, a bunch, bunch of, of uh, boobs. Boobs. Yeah, exactly. They're <laughs> a bunch of boobs. Let me switch gears just slightly here. You and I read often, even in the secular media, about the decline of the Western church. So our listeners know, I mean, there's Western Church and there's Eastern Church. And typically, anytime you say orthodoxy in the name, you're going to think Eastern Church. And really, everything else, maybe, is in the Western Church. Roman Catholic to the primitive Baptist down the road, right? So everything indicates that the church is in decline, more so in America than it ever has been. Certainly in the LCMS, we've been watching these trends for years, paying more attention to them now uh, than, say, 50 years ago. If people like this can be cut out, I have no problem with the decline. Right. If, they, if, that, if this is what gets lopped off, this false doctrine, and I, I think it contributes to the decline. Oh, no doubt. I think this sounds so ridiculous. Uh, and so irresponsible, and anybody who's got gray matter between their ears has to be listening to this thinking, this is church? It's like a snake oil salesman. And the thing is, Pastor Bruss, I mean, any of our listeners can go to, I mean, you don't have to do a great deal of digging. I mean, it's not like I went to the Library of Congress in the stacks in the basement to find these sermons. That we're listening to right now? They're very accessible. Right. And it's like... For the most part, it's like I've got 10 for us to listen to, 10 turd biscuits. Our listeners are not going to put up with chewing on 10 turd biscuits. No, I'm, I'm actually getting a bad taste in my mouth already. <laughs> but he's leading the people now. 
He's leading the people in a prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he's already done that once where we put our hands on our chest. Because he was already there. Now, what are we going to do? It's going to be bigger and better. The Lord has something in store for them. Okay, but before we listen to his prayer, when Jesus says that the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against the church, is this the church that he had in mind, you think? No, I don't. So the gates of Hades will prevail over schlock like this. Over schlock like that, I pray that the Lord will preserve the faithful remnant that's that's in there, the, those who have not been so deceived that they can no longer believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's clearly still time for this pastor to repent of his erroneous teaching. And go to a seminary and learn something. But in that piece that you had laid on my desk about pastoral humility, to repent and then to teach something otherwise... Man, wouldn't you say that's a rare commodity? Not that the Holy Spirit couldn't bring it about, but for crying out loud. I'm sure it's extremely difficult, and that's, you know, that's why pastoral form- formation is so very important. But I would say it's also why supervision is very important. Right. I mean, think about this guy, this fellow here. My guess is he doesn't have any elders at his church. If he does, they're probably rah rah re guys. Right. Uh, He's going to say, well, our elders are in other churches in other parts of the country. Well, are they they listening to what he's preaching? If they are, they're probably, what is it, lock, step, and barrel in what he's teaching. Mm -hmm. In most evangelical churches, the only way for a pastor to be out of the pulpit is if he unzips his pants in the wrong place, right? You got it. Yep. And even then, not so much. Even then, they rebound like a rubber band. Right, right. Just give them, you know, six months off, paid vacation, and uh, send them to counseling, and then he's back. You know, proper pastoral formation should engender a, a deep humility before the Word of God and the task that you're given. Um, and it should rob you of—I mean, this guy has so confidently, confident in his own— <laughs> dreams really his own cogitation interpreted this text and wound up so far off the text that it's just it's 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 scary actually you know if you don't have humility you probably can't even recognize that you don't have humility and that's part of the problem that's why this training this pastoral training is so critical and as you say why why supervision um you know in a church body where you have a a bishop who can say, show me your sermons, or I, I hear that, that this is the kind of thing that's being taught or tolerated in your congregation, needs to be in play because we keep each other through the Word of God in the faith. I mean, where, is this, where does a place like this end up? I, I'm serious. In, in 40 years, when you've departed so dramatically already from God's Word, where do they end up? Oh, I don't know. I mean, is it? Do we end up with like Dale Carnegie or the, or who who's the power of positive thinking guy? Who's that? Norman Vincent yeah, Peale. Norman Vincent Peale, who Trump said was his pastor. Right. Scary. So think about think about the Osteen phenomenon. There is nothing left at Osteen's church except for positive thinking. This can't help but wind up in the same exact place because it's unmoored from the 
teaching of the apostles. So going back to what I said earlier, I mean, I think of the scripture that says judgment begins at the house of God, and it clearly has. Correct. You're saying in the demise of the Western church. Right. It's very clear that there's a visitation of judgment. Yes. We are being sent into figurative Babylonian exile. But that's okay. I mean, we could look at it and wring our hands over it. God's going to preserve his faithful remnant. There's no question about it, just as he did in Babylon. Right. Right. And there's always going to be the gospel. There's always going to be the sacraments. But when the faithful are deceived into believing that what we're hearing is the church, for crying out loud, this is why we do what we do. Correct. So that somebody anywhere in the world will stumble across this ridiculous-sounding podcast called The Pluck Chicken and just begin to think, what's this all about? Yeah, absolutely, all over the world. And these sort of evangelical phenomena are happening across the English-speaking world. Let's listen to his prayer as much as I don't want to. Let's just listen to the manipulation that takes place. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to... I'm surprised the music isn't playing yet. This is a a technique where, you know, the music indicates that the Holy Spirit is actually descending upon the audience so they can make decisions. What do you think? Well, uh, it may well come. Live inside of us. And at this moment that we would call baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's just a recognition that you're there and we want to immerse ourselves in that life, in the life of the Spirit. We want you to lead us. We want you to guide us. We want you to comfort us when we need it. We want you to direct us. We want you to anoint us. Okay, I knew we couldn't have a prayer without music in the background. The guy must have been on like a what, you know, like a cigarette break. He didn't he didn't <laughs> get, get there the, in time. He, he didn't get the cue when yeah. to show up, right? So yeah. he starts off real soft. You know, I want the Holy Spirit. I mean, it seems like the Holy Spirit can do a lot of stuff. I'd love a cheeseburger. I think the Holy Spirit <laughs> think he could bring me one of them. <laughs> bring me comfort when I need it, you know. Bring me a cheeseburger right now. So would you just say this prayer with me? Dear God, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit today. I submit to the Spirit today. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to rule in my life. Would you refresh me today in the Spirit? Would you guide me in the Spirit? Thank you, Father, for baptizing me the Holy Spirit today and with every head bowed there may be people here that have never met Jesus as their Savior and so I'm just going to ask all of us to say this quick prayer together if you've never prayed to meet Jesus would you take this moment with everyone else and pray this prayer let's all pray this together dear Heavenly Father thank you for Jesus he died for my sins he rose back to life he is the Son of God I receive Him as my Savior. Today, all my sins are forgiven. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Amen. Would you give Jesus, give the Holy Spirit a clap? Oh, my. I mean, so again, going back to my thought about Roman Catholicism and Luther's day, or even, you know, today, 
I've got to accept Jesus in my heart. Then I've got to take the next step, which is to publicly identify that I have accepted Jesus in my right, heart. Right, right, right. Then I've got to be baptized in the Holy right, Spirit. Right, right, yep, right, right. <laughs> and then what do you have to do? You better get to work. Then you got to follow whatever he, wherever he leads. So well, you, going you get back a gas to the first, pain. No, going back to the first Yahoo that we heard, the first turd biscuit, we've got to give all of our time, energy, effort to the, to the church. To the church, because we right. don't want that to be, we don't want any of it to be burned up. Correct. But if you feel the Holy Spirit stirring in your belly, don't go get in your car and drive to church and do something. Head to the bathroom. Is that, is that's, that, that's what I'm saying. And, and is that where you're going off to now? <laughs> See if you can hold it for just a, a minute. Speaking of the Holy Spirit stirring in. <laughs> See if you can hold it for just a minute while we listen to one last guy here. We're going to begin in verse 21. I've been starting all over the place. Um, so give some grace to our team because they're trying to figure out where am I going to start. So we're going to start in verse 21. You know what? I changed my mind. (laughs) We're going uh, to start in verse 20. Nope, 21. (laughs) Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. And then we see here a semicolon, which causes us to pause longer than we would if there was a comma, but also connects this particular thought that's coming up with the one that we just saw here in red, the semicolon. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love this. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Okay, I know he's your favorite. I mean, he's talking about, he's giving grammar lessons there. He is, he is really something. Doesn't know what verse to start on. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know the punctuation was, uh, was actually included in the original. No, it, it, isn't that funny? He's got the whole, he's got this all figured out, the inspired punctuation of the text. So at least uh, he starts with the text, though. and he's, He does. You would think that he's going to talk about... The text? Uh, well, yeah, he would talk about believing and... Believing in what? Uh, you know, it's uh, as we said earlier. There's a, there's a, com- there's commands and there's promises. So clearly, this is going to help my unbelief, help my uh, not believing in the promises. Well, tell me the promises. Right. 
It's not where he's going to go. No. no, I think it's going to focus more on you can do anything, right? We'll find out. We'll see. Okay. In this particular text, we see a father who has a son that is tormented by an evil spirit. This tormenting spirit is keeping the boy from speaking, from interacting in any meaningful way, I'm sure with friends and family. This has been going on for many years. And Jesus is trying to move this father from a place of unbelief to belief. He is going to move this son, this young man, from a place of oppression to a place of freedom. I want to ask you today, what is God wanting to move in your life? Allie and I moved eight times the first eight years of living here in the city. So I stopped in there because just take a wild guess what he does for the next 10 minutes, you think? I think he's going to tell serial stories about their eight moves in the city. You, man, Pastor Bruce, you are, man, you're sharp. I'm, well, I'm starting to get onto it with these guys. You know, <laughs> can you imagine how easy it would be to write a sermon a 50-minute sermon if you filled it with fluff, like how many times you've moved. But the problem is, is that the thought of moving and the stories that come along with them, and we've all got them. We've all got moving stories. None of them are, are, are great. They're, they're all bad. And so they start with the story and then find the text to go along with the story so they can mold that text into the telling of the story because there's something funny or horrific or something dramatic that takes place. Yeah, right. And so and and that's the you know, the word move from a place of unbelief to belief doesn't show up in this text at all. He's just in the text that he read. He's just inserting it totally. What? Yeah. You're telling me that a ordained man of God would actually insert something in yeah yeah that's what he's you know what's funny actually, is it's scary it, it's terrible yeah. if we, we were to go to the doctor and the doctor sees something that he needs to you know open us up for and let's just say the doctor when he opened you up he inserted something into you that God didn't design or make. You know, maybe, I don't know, it's wedding ring or, or a sponge. Yeah, a sponge. Yep. If that were found out, which clearly it would be. He'd lose his license. You think there would be repercussions for something like that? Absolutely. Yeah, and so so you're saying with guys like this who are inserting all... We, we saw it in the last sermon, didn't sure. we? Where he opened up his bag and threw in all sorts of ideas and the concept of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, we saw it in the first guy where he kept finding the words of work, work. What are the work, right, work, work? Right, right, right. Yep. Same thing. Any repercussions for these guys? No, uh, they do it with impunity, Not in this life. Right, not in this life. 
that and and they truly are building on the foundation uh, straw and rubble here's what I want to say to you when you're moving have a plan when you're moving get a picture when you're moving count the cost pay the price when you are moving go ahead and purge there's just some things that God has to get rid of and there's some things that you got to let go of if you're going to move into all that God has for you. And lastly, you got to make sure you pack the right stuff. There's some stuff you got to make sure you pack. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, look, you got to pack in prayer, which means, look, don't get so busy, right? Don't get so busy, right? In your best life now, disciples, right? You got your skinny jeans on and your breath mints and, right? <laughs> You're looking sharp and you're ready to, you know, minister. You got good social skills. You're real charismatic. You know how to problem solve. You got it all figured out. You got your three points to ministry, right? You got your plan. You're executing it. But hey, don't forget to pack prayer. Listen, it's so important for us to make sure we pack in the right things. We got to pack in prayer. We got to pack in the principles of God, the word of God. We got to pack in the Holy Spirit. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, if, if prayer isn't going with me, I don't want to go. If the principles of God, the word of God can't go with me, then I don't want to go. Let me tell you what. Notice there are some, right, things that you pack in. That they're not going to go somewhere. I can tell you right now, they're just not going to go. Make sure you pack in the precious foundations of godliness when you move. I can't move into places where God's word isn't allowed Amen. to go. I can't go where the Holy Spirit isn't welcome. I can't, I can't move into places and spaces where, where the right stuff isn't allowed to go. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I believe with all my heart today there are some people here that need to move. You need to make your move today. Some of you since it's time to move. And there are others of you here, the greatest move that you can make is making Jesus Christ the Lord and leader of your life. If you're here and you say, I want to make the first move. When we draw close to God, he draws close to us. I want to invite Jesus into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I want him to move in, take residence in my life. I wanna be forgiven of my sin. I wanna be set free from anything or anyone that may have a grip on me. I wanna secure my place in God's family. If that's you today, I wanna lead you in a prayer. If you're watching online, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And I count to three to signal Jesus in all of heaven as an expression of faith and surrender, I'd like for you to just lift one hand boldly. One, two, three, just lift one hand right where you are as an expression of faith and surrender to Jesus. Well, it's times like that that I kind of wish we had a video camera going on uh, as we listen to that. I'm sure that he had, he uh, dinging on the people with the breath mints and the skinny jeans is also... In breath mints and skinny jeans. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm talking about a video camera of us. 
Oh yeah, listening to it. This was painful. I mean, this is just painful. And actually, maybe like a a side recording because there have been lots of comments. <laughs> but uh, maybe it's best it's, that they're it's not probably recorded. Best that they're not recorded. In fact, yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is pathetic. I mean, just pathetic. Yeah, I mean, did he preach the text at all? I mean, you know, granted, I, I I cut out the sermon because all he does is talk about he uses his physical moves and he uses, uh, what would you say, aphorisms for each one of those moves. I mean, you heard him sum up there. Yeah. You know, you have to purge and you have to take a long prayer and you, you have you to get a vision. In the front of in the front of the picture. Uh, Truck, yeah, right, so yeah, all that crap. It's, it's, you know, he didn't talk about the text any. No. He didn't talk about believing. He said, I'm here today to help you move, and some of you need to be doing so. You need to be moving. Christianity, American Christianity, is this racing for the carrot, the proverbial carrot, as it were, and you never, I mean, you never get it. You know, or, or climbing the ladder, you never stop. I, I suppose not, and and this this struck me as the um, paragon of moralistic therapeutic deism, right? This is this is self help stuff. This is this is what what your shrink tells you when you're lying on her couch. You know, you're in a rut. Get your keister moving. My counter argument would be: I, I get what you're saying that you're kind of never getting there, but I would say. You're always getting there. This is easy, right? Move on. If if this is just a pep talk, I can move on. This is like reading my horoscope and saying, "Okay, today I'm going to be a loving, you know, partner." Sure, but is that the reason you come to church? N- no, it's not. Well, the reason I go to church is the reason these people are going to church, and that's what they're selling is pep talks. But what do these people need? Well, what they need is Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. And they don't they're get not, it. They're not getting it at all. No. See, I, I think they, they, they have gone looking for a God. This is, this is an indictment against the hearers. They've been going, gone out and looked for a, a God and a piety that fits their, well, it's their it's felt needs. Totally. So what do our listeners if they've made it all the way through this bag of turd biscuits, what do they need to do? And they're actually in a place like this. They need to go uh, find a, a Missouri Synod Church or a Wisconsin Synod Church or an Evangelical Lutheran Synod Church. Not an Elka Church? Not an Elka Church. Go find one of those and and be patient with it. You're not If you're coming from something like this, going to full throttle Lutheranism, it's going to take a while for you to kind of grasp it. The old Adam is going to fight this. I mean, it it, it will be a a battle. I mean, it, not to not to minimize this. I've kind of already used this analogy, but it's like you've been you've been eating something for so long, and your palate is accustomed to the texture, to the taste. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, sugar, whatever. Well, then when you when you eliminate that, man, uh, talk about you know what goes on in the mind, what's going on in the heart, and this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing right. to make matters worse. And if that's if that's too much, 
Uh, start with something like uh, Craig Parton's book, The Defense Never Rests. You can get that at cph.org. Uh, or, or The Spirituality, the Spirituality of the Cross. The Cross, and you can get that. Uh, is that Northwestern or is that uh, Amazon? I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, these are avail- readily available books. Those are shorter ones. We've already talked about The Fire and the Staff. That's a long one, so if you're a real studious person, you might want to pick that one up. But these two others are pretty short and would be helpful. But Well, even if you were not interested in reading, quote-unquote, just a theology on a, on a layman's scale— just the novel Hammer of God by Bo Gertz. I mean, this is a, if you just want to see what we're talking about in a, in a novel form, if you really wanted to, to look even deeper into American evangelicalism and the problem with it, uh, Brian Wolfmuller's book, uh, Why American Christianity Failed. I mean, there are resources available if just going to the church causes you to have like a, like a reaction. Right. Yeah, but do go to the church because that's where the rubber hits the road. The divine service is where the gifts of God come to his people, and uh, you want you ultimately need to get accustomed to that. Uh, and, and, and ask the pastor about his catechesis class. Right, absolutely. And if you got lots of money and you happen to be anywhere in the country, you can just fly to Topeka once a week for our catechesis class on Wednesday evening at about... Uh, 6.45, if you're here, we can start evening prayer and then have catechesis, right? Well, we'd love to have you. <laughs> All right, Pastor Bruss, thank you so much for your time, for your input here. Yep, I'm going to go brush my teeth now. Oh. <laughs> I've, I've eaten too much of this stuff. <laughs> well, until next time. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org. I'd like to pray for us as a church, because church, we're moving. God's calling us to move. And for many of us, we're moving to higher dimensions of faith. We're moving into new territory. There are some of you that are moving into new, uh, new levels of influence. Some of you are moving uh, supernaturally into new places. Uh, of God's gifting, calling, and authority. And I want to pray for, for all of us right now as a church. Lord Jesus. Wow.